This is the What Happened Today podcast, your daily history podcast that tells you what happened on this day in history. Brought to you by the Productive Leisure Network, online, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com, and on Facebook and Twitter, at Prod Leisure. I'm your host, Will Floyd, and what happened today, November 11th in 1620. Passengers on board the ship Mayflower, while it was docked near the tip of Cape Cod, signed the Mayflower Compact, setting up a framework for governing the brand new Plymouth Colony. The Mayflower Compact is obviously important as an early governing document for one of the first colonies in the New World set up by the British. There's a through line from the Mayflower Compact through a series of different governing documents that can lead to the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the U.S. Constitution. On the other hand, that through line is more of sort of an accumulation and shifting and changing. Because the situation faced by the people on board the Mayflower in November of 1620 was peculiar, and that is reflected in the Mayflower Compact itself. First of all, the Mayflower should have been nowhere near Cape Cod, and they probably should not have arrived in the New World in November. The idea behind the Mayflower voyage was that they would set up a new part of the colony of Virginia. They were shooting for Jamestown, the one English settlement at the time, which after its founding has been able to keep going, although it was a severe struggle for the people of Jamestown. But the Mayflower was aiming for Jamestown. It ended up miles upon miles off course. And part of why it ended up so far north was that the Mayflower didn't sail under the best of conditions. The impetus for getting the Mayflower on its voyage to the New World came from a small group of separatist Puritans. In the early 17th century, English had been firmly established as a Protestant nation, but the exact boundaries of how it would be Protestant were unclear. This was less than 100 years after Martin Luther had kicked off the Protestant Reformation with his 95 Theses, and really just a few decades since the Protestant Reformation had fully been established in England. The English Reformation first started in the 1530s under Henry VIII, when he had disputes with the Pope over wanting to marry a new woman and divorce his old wife. As he decided to leave the church, the shape of what his Protestant church, the Church of England, that he was the supreme head of, was unclear. Mostly, it was a lot like the old Catholic church, but then English started being used more. And under his son, Edward, a much more radical Protestantism came about. But Edward did not live long, and so his eldest sister Mary took the throne. Mary was a devout Catholic, being the daughter of Catherine of Aragon, the woman that Henry wanted to divorce, and the reason that he began to split from the Pope. However, Mary too would not rule that long, and it would turn to her sister Elizabeth, the daughter of Anne Boleyn, the woman Henry married once he had established a Protestant church. And so Elizabeth I established that England would be Protestant. But it was what was known as a high church kind of Protestantism. High church means wanting many of the old traditions, wanting certain rituals. And for many people, this wasn't right. Elizabeth would set out some brand new religious goals. She would allow for the English Bible. She would be the main reason that the Book of Common Prayer appeared in the way it would for centuries. And yet when she, after a longer reign, gave up the throne in 1603 to her cousin, King James of Scotland, exactly who was in charge of the Church of England was still unclear. 
James turned out to be much more high church than anyone thought, but in Scotland he had been around various kinds of arch-Calvinists, specifically Presbyterians, but also other kinds of reformers. And so there were groups of people who thought that the church should be changed. Most of them were broadly classified as Puritans. They wanted to, in a sense, purify the Church of England. Most Puritans, under James I's rule, thought that they should work to improve the church in England. There were certain laws they would flaunt, but they actually had some influence. There were Puritans who helped write sections of the King James Bible, the great translation of the Bible into English inaugurated by King James almost from the start of his reign. There were debates going on, but then there were people who thought that the whole idea was hopeless, and they were separatists, and they were the people on the Mayflower. Or at least they were part of the people on the Mayflower. There were never that many separatists to begin with. They had their own weird journey. They had tried to find refuge in Holland, one of the great Protestant nations on the continent, but seemed so hopelessly English that they didn't really feel that they were set out. They weren't really escaping to create the brand new society in which they could ideally live their very strict faith. So they decided to go to the new world. The idea of doing this was a bit odd. Jamestown was not set up as a haven of separatist belief. Instead, it was a crass commercial enterprise, and it wasn't doing so hot in 1620. People died in droves every winter. There were attacks by local Native American groups that the Virginia colonists did not have the best of relations with. And yet these separatists thought, where we will be able to create our own society the way we want will be in the new world. And so they decided to get out a ship and go. Because they were able to pay, they actually got some people to be willing to do this. And they contracted out not only the Mayflower, but also the Speedwell, a related ship. There were serious problems from the beginning of the voyage. First, they didn't really have enough people to fill up the ship, so they found some random other people who would agree to live in their new rules. And then they were dealing with the crew. The strangers, as the separatists called everybody who was not one of them, they referred to themselves as saints, were a mixed lot. Strangers also included the crew, who despised pretty much anyone who wasn't part of the crew, as was typical at the time. And a North Atlantic Ocean voyage was a highly dangerous thing in 1620. There are serious storms that crop up, particularly in the fall and into the winter. Also, it is extremely cold if you go too far north. And the very notion of navigation was quite difficult still at the time. Although navigators knew how to use compasses and find points on the earth, they didn't really know what they were aiming at. They had a rough idea, enough voyages had happened since Columbus took off in 1492, that the basic idea of the coastline was there. People knew what they should be seeing. But past the coastline, there was almost no knowledge. And these were very rough estimates done on just a handful of voyages. So going to the New World was an entirely bizarre undertaking. You were doing it because you thought that the risk outweighed the guarantee of whatever your life was giving you in England. And to make matters worse for everyone on board the Mayflower, they were seriously delayed. They left the Thames closer to London in July of 1620. They were supposed to go around, anchor on the south coast, meet with the Speedwell in late July, and then head out. The Speedwell was actually bringing the church members that had still remained in Holland, at Leiden. They would all come together and go out, setting off to their brand new home. Except it took a while to set off. The Speedwell proved 
remarkably unseaworthy, as every time they got anywhere outside of a basic port, it would spring a leak. And so the ships had to be repaired. As they went past Land's End, the very southwestern tip of England, they didn't get 200 miles before the Speedwell had to turn back around. And so in early September, they got rid of the Speedwell. This meant that the Mayflower was the only ship going across the Atlantic, and that it would only carry 130 people. Some 20 to 30 of that were crew, and of the 102 actual passengers, they were split almost evenly between saints and strangers. But they were all united in having a miserable journey. By leaving in September, they were now facing some of the worst winds in the North Atlantic. They also had been bobbing along in these ships forever and were losing supplies. They were also worried that as they left Plymouth Harbor in England, the water that they had gotten there was contaminated. And they had to stop at Newland, Cornwall, near Land's End, before they actually lost sight of England to get clean water. The journey was incredibly rough. They were trying to bring along things to live in a brand new world. And at least they thought they would be near Jamestown. So they had an odd sense of provision. They did have some live animals in order to raise some livestock. They also had a variety of food, although it was very low and not that high a quality. And they were being tossed around in a battered wooden ship on the ocean for months. Waves crashed over the bow and in fact actually broke a support timber. So they had to repair it using basically the things they brought to build houses. And so they had to be relieved when they spotted land on November 9th, 1620. But as they came upon the land, they realized due to its distinctive shape sticking out like a fish hook in the middle of the water, that they were at Cape Cod. Their rudimentary maps, they knew that they were well north of Virginia. They spent one day figuring out if they could actually get out and go southward following the coast to Virginia. There were such strong winds and seas, they couldn't even get out of the fish hook of Cape Cod. And so they settled down and they wrote the Mayflower Compact. So now you have people who have been on an arduous journey, who are literally stuck on a ship in a harbor as their one safe refuge, facing storms and an oncoming New England winter, and sharply divided in why they are there. And so in many ways, the very act of sitting down and writing out the Mayflower Compact is the most important deed. They had to figure out how to live together. They weren't disembarking. They knew that they actually had to basically winter on the ship. They wouldn't get out and fully establish the colony until March. But in drawing up the Mayflower Compact, there were a few things that became clear. One, they basically had to say, we recognize we're not really at Virginia. We're not really under the charter of the colony of Virginia. And so the first thing they did was they acknowledged their loyalty to their dread sovereign Lord King James by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc. His full respectful titles and all the land he claimed in the way, importantly, that James wanted it. But also they did not spell out that many specifics. They noted that they were coming together to have the first colony in the, quote, northern parts of Virginia. And they said they did it to advance the Christian faith and honor king and country. Their real key was surviving. And they knew they had to band together. And so they agreed they would do that. And they said that they would enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. That is the outline of what they agreed to. That's really it. The text of the 
Mayflower Compact would come down in various forms. The original was lost. Many things were lost in that first winter, including an astonishing number of lives. But of the 41 passengers that signed, they had all agreed to work together. They said they would figure out what to do, and they tried to figure out what would go on. As they wintered, sitting on the boat, which they were probably already sick of, was not a large ship, and now they were confined to it, all they really had was the Mayflower Compact to go on, that they would work together. The real leader was William Bradford, the head of the separatists, and he was clearly in charge of the colony. But he also was facing 40 men who had signed the document with him, as well as a crew. We're looking at him as the leader of the non-crew, essentially. And they had to come together. About half of the people on board the Mayflower would die before anyone even got off the ship and began to establish the colony. It wasn't even six months in to their time in North America. And that awful attrition rate would hold true for Plymouth. But more importantly, while they were struggling, stuck on Cape Cod, away from everywhere else in the New World, until 1630, when Puritans came and settled the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They had the Mayflower Compact to guide them. It wasn't much of a document, but it was something, and something was a necessity for the people on board the Mayflower, the men of which signed the Mayflower Compact, agreeing to set out a government between them and the New World, which is what happened today, November 11th in 1620. That will do it for today's episode, but as always, please check back in tomorrow for a brand new episode because we are a daily history podcast, and we do put out a new episode each and every day. You can also find all of our episodes on our website, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com, and on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you are listening to us on either iTunes or Stitcher, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating, and leave a review, because those are the ways you can help us to get onto charts and be heard by brand new listeners. You can also help us out a bit more directly by going to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash leisure, and becoming one of our patrons. At Patreon, patrons give small monthly contributions to support ongoing creative work, like a podcast network. So if you want to hear more of the What Happened Today podcast or any other Productive Leisure Network podcast, please go to patreon.com slash productive leisure and become one of our patrons today. You can also follow us for updates on everything to do with the Productive Leisure Network on Facebook and Twitter at Prod Leisure. Thanks for listening and see you tomorrow.